Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. If you told me that my value was multiple innings out of the bullpen, and now with the stacked bullpen that we have, I went, when I first had the conversation, it was like nine of my last 10 outings were 1.1 innings or less. And so I was like, using that as why can't those two plus innings, three innings be in the beginning of the game instead of the sixth, seventh, eighth, when I'm not even getting those opportunities. I still think my slider isn't where it was last year. It's not a pitch that I'm nervous to throw, but I think that there are a lot of times that I'm babying it without even thinking about it. But then when I'm actually ripping it, I can see it be like it was last year. I felt like my pitch arsenal and also my game planning allowed me to really have success the second time through. And I just wasn't able to get to the third time through. And I want to see if that really played. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me across the Zoom line, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. What is up, Nate? How's it going, John? It's going okay. You know, it's it's weird to, I hate to say it, just to be watching postseason baseball in these early rounds with no stakes. But what can you do? Yeah, yeah, it is a different feeling. You know, it's usually a time of year when we're working late into the night and talking about travel plans and uh, all that kind of good stuff. But uh wasn't our year, so hopefully next year we'll get back on track. wasn't our year. Obviously, uh, like everyone else, we have heavy hearts right now about what's going on around the world. But at the same time, it's uh, we still got a job to do, which is talk about baseball. And we have a very, very, very fun conversation today. A chat I had near the end of the season with Michael King. We spoke about his injury last year and his attempt, seemingly successful, to uh, convince Yankees brass to let him start. John, I think everybody's going to really enjoy this one. A lot of insight into the inner workings of Michael King's brain. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this one, too. And a fun brain it is, so stick with us. Joining us right now, we have Michael King. Michael King, starter, reliever, who... who who can say, really? Yeah, who knows? Um, I definitely would prefer the starter, but that's fine. No pun intended. You have started taking on that role as a starter again now. It's it's hard to see sometimes because you had such a useful role in the bullpen. You were so effective there in, in, in kind of a unique role sometimes in what you were doing. But I know you always said you wanted it, in a mm-hmm. sense. Did you think it would come? Did you think you would get the chance? I actually talked about it in spring training with Boone and Hark and Blake. We had a, a meeting because in spring training, we also had a lot of starting pitching injuries. Yep. And in the moment, coming off of my injury, the best way for my arm to feel good was actually having days off. Obviously, out of the bullpen, you have to be hot every day, and you don't know if you can get those those recovery days. So I almost suggested it as like a, a way to start the season. And then the main thing was, one, like Rodon wasn't going to be very long. Nestor wasn't going to be very long. They were all going to come back at a quick pace. And they didn't want me to have a ton of innings the year after surgery. So let's just say I ended up sticking as a starter. They didn't want me to have 150-plus innings. And so that was kind of a concern. So the traumatic arm injury, which is a long game you were playing to get yourself into the starting position. Exactly. There you go. Uh, Clever. Yeah, Clever. Exactly. Um, but then, obviously, we started to have some injuries in the starting rotation, lost some guys, and I brought it up again. And I said, hey, we're now in the middle of the season, so I'm not going to get to 150 innings, even if I do start for the rest of the year. And the main thing for me was we just traded for Keenan Middleton, and he was dominating, and Loisga just came back. And I know you said my role's 
unique in the bullpen, Loizaga is that role as well. And yeah. we came into the season thinking that we were both going to be that role and then kind of switch off in opportunities. I said, if you told me that my value was multiple innings out of the bullpen, and now with the stacked bullpen that we have, I went, when I first had the conversation, it was like nine of my last 10 outings were 1.1 innings or less. And he said that my value is two plus innings. And so I was like, using that as why can't those two plus innings, three innings be in the beginning of the game instead of the sixth, seventh, eighth, when I'm not even getting those opportunities. And I think I started to get to him a little bit um, and he agreed. <laughs> and then unfortunately it was, this was like right as Nestor was about to come back. Um, and then unfortunately Nestor went down. And so now it then became like a, Hey, we actually have this option. Let's do it. So what is it about starting that you like? I love the game plan. Okay. Um, as a bullpen arm, and I think you can see this, honestly, you see it with like Mariano Rivera. It's the easiest example. He has such an elite pitch, one pitch, that he could throw every single time and get the hitter out. As a starter, it's very hard to throw one pitch and get guys out. So I felt like my game planning was actually one of my biggest strengths in the minor leagues. And even still, because I, I, there are multiple times where I faced the same hitter twice because I would go three innings and have to face the guy a couple times. But I felt like my pitch arsenal and also my game planning allowed me to really have success the second time through and I just wasn't able to get to the third time through and I want to see if that really played so that's honestly my favorite part about baseball is that game plan the working with the catcher to really see what the hitter's trying to do see their approach see if they're going to change their approach because they got out their first step at see if they're going to change their approach because they know I'm going to change my approach and that chess game I think is my favorite part about baseball and I miss doing it out of the bullpen I say that to people a lot. You know, if I'm speaking to someone from a different country or something like that, if I'm in a concert and I'm talking to someone who's like, I don't do baseball, it's like, okay, you can understand the home run and it doesn't happen all the time. So I get why you would say it's boring. But like, watch the pitcher when he's facing a guy who he just faced 25 minutes ago. I'm trying mm -hmm. to figure out a different way to get him out. And I, and I think that I, I hear what you're saying with that stuff. That's, that's, that's fun. It's fun. And, and I, I, the main thing is knowing then the hitters that will make an adjustment and the hitters that you could throw the exact same pitch again and, and get them out. And that's the fun conversation that I'll have with the catcher. What will you miss about relieving, assuming that you never uh, find yourself in a bullpen again? Hoping that I never find myself. But uh, <laughs> there you go. honestly, that, that massive adrenaline rush. Um, I was actually talking to Andy Pettit about it um, a couple weeks ago, but I talked to him about, like, th there were definitely games out of the bullpen that, you're so far away from the game and then all of a sudden the game gets close and you have to physically like amp yourself up to get there because you have no idea if you're going to pitch as a starter. It's almost like a four day buildup to your day. So you're slowly but surely building up that adrenaline to then be like, all right, now it's my day. It's time to go. So you're going to always be ready to go as a reliever. You don't know if you're going to pitch or not. So there's like a quick flip that has to be switched for you to then lock into the game. And there, I definitely have found myself in times where, I didn't flip that switch and now I'm out there and I'm like, come on, dude, you're in a big league game. You got to lock in here and feel that adrenaline rush. Um, but the games that you do feel the adrenaline, adrenaline rush, whether it's like a big divisional rival that you're facing or just a big situation and the crowd's going nuts, it, there's nothing like it. So I think as a starter in the first five, six innings, you don't get those big situations as much. Um, it's there's a lot more net. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a, I, I'm very excited. And obviously you see like a Garrett get there because when he's going seventh, eighth inning, that's when the adrenaline kicks in. That's when the crowd realizes we're getting close to the game or end of the game. But those are like the, the things I'll miss. So how would you, you know, we're talking September. How would you rate the first few starts? I mean, I know that you're a guy who's always going to pick some things apart and, and, and but, but also you're, you're a positive guy in a lot of ways. What, what, what are you looking at when you see how this is going so far as you start thinking about an off season plan? 
I definitely think there's room to improve. Um, I think there are definitely things that I could say I did well. But my main thing as a starter, and I think that the number one attribute of, of a starter should be depth and going as deep as you possibly can in games. Um, being as efficient as possible and getting six, seven, eight innings. Because my pitch count isn't there, I come away from it like, damn, that was only a four inning outing. Like, what, what am I got? What do I got to do to? It's hard to adjust up? your expectations and your goals, right? Exactly. But I feel like I still haven't put together a full start yet in terms of my pitch package. I pitched against Houston. And I think I threw like four off speed pitches for strikes. Obviously, I was still able to get outs. There were some loud outs, some great defensive plays, but I, and I was able to get outs. The outing before that against Detroit. I had terrible fastball command and couldn't throw strikes to my fastball early in the count, but then was able to make execute pitches with my off-speed pitches to get guys out even when they were in advantageous counts. So I'm hoping to get grooving on where I get both fastball command, I'm up in the count, and I can also execute off-speed pitches because then that's a lot more fun and that's the easiest way to be efficient. But my first few, I think, were I can pick apart a lot of things and, and use some things to work on. So I've let you talk enough about uh, some of the good stuff. Let's go back to the last year and a half. You were on such an incredible roll last year. Uh, the injury was horrible. I- I'm curious, you know, before we get to that, what were you feeling leading up to it? I-, I don't get the impression that was something that went from zero to a billion right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Uh, I was thrown through a lot. I think uh, a lot of athletes just do that in general. They think that they, it's not an injury. It's just like some pain or whatever, and you can kind of work through it. And I definitely think for the for a good month, that's what it was. I'd say like for the beginning of June to like the middle of, of July, it was pain that I could work through. Um, once I got going, once I warmed up my body, um, I didn't feel anything. And then the, I'd say it was around the All-Star break because I mean, it happened the second game after the All-Star break. But during the All-Star break, I wanted to take some time off um, and was hoping that it would resolve itself in a couple of days. Little did I know it was probably a stress fracture and obviously that doesn't heal in two days but then i i talked to i was talking to clay holmes and i threw against houston um we had that weird because of the lockout it was only one game in, or i think it was a doubleheader in houston mm-hmm. and then we went to baltimore right after the all-star break and um when i was in baltimore i said to clay like hey dude i i know you've been there before i know you've had elbow injuries what do i do because i'm in a lot of pain i don't know what to really think do i try to man up for the last couple months of the season and hope i can figure it out in the off season? And his advice actually was to say something, uh, but then I told myself I'm not going to say anything. And uh, that night I pitched and and it went. So I I think it was just me throwing through a stress fracture for, it probably was like a stress reaction to start. And then I kept throwing through it, became a stress fracture. And then I kept throwing through it and it cracked. You're a talented guy. You're skilled. You know a lot of stuff. I don't think you're a doctor. I, you is there? Has anyone spoken to you? Let's say you have that conversation with Clay. And that day you say, you know what, doc, I can't pitch today. Is there any reason to think that that could have dramatically changed the course of the next few months? Or do you think it was probably too far gone at that point? So this, I I talked to the doctor about that. And he said, honestly, the only thing you saved yourself from was, or you would have saved yourself from if you said something, um, is a lot of pain and the hardware that's in my elbow. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was healthy for opening day of the next year. You, you were going to miss two or three months anyhow. I would, and more, probably more than that, because it, it probably would have been like a two-month shutdown, um, which I ended up doing after surgery. But if I said something, I would have saved myself the pain from that day of it cracking um, and then the pain of surgery and stuff. But I was, it, it almost made me feel a lot better because if I ended up losing some time from next year uh, or from, I guess, the beginning of this year, then I would have been mad at myself for not saying anything. But 
in my heart, I was like, I'm going to give everything I got. And, and, and that's what, that's what you're trained. Like, you know, it, it's so weird. And, and I've spoken and it's a tough, tough thing to get guys in the front office. It's a tough thing to get coaches to talk about because there is that push pull. I mm -hmm. mean, you don't want guys in the training room, mm -hmm. but you also don't want guys pitching hurt or at particularly pitchers. But you don't want guys playing hurt, but those two things can exist at the same time. This season's too long and the sport is too destructive. I mean, I imagine everybody in there has had a situation like that. Maybe not like as violent as yours was in that sense, but just mm -hmm. a day where they were like, I don't know, man, I can go, I can open one, either door here and both of them are the right one. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also think that our training staff and coaching staff is very good with communication, but it's on the player ultimately to say exactly how they're feeling. And I was nowhere close to saying how I was feeling. So they didn't, they knew that I was, grinded through some stuff but they just thought it was normal pitcher stuff and you're towards the end of or not towards but like after the halfway point and whatever but there are a lot of guys that i think are smart when they do take a couple days off here or even go on a 15-day il because they know that those 15 days are going to allow them to be healthy throughout september october when you really needed and i felt like that's where i failed the team originally but then after when i heard that if i said something and they found a stress fracture i would have been done anyways it made me feel a little bit better but uh yeah what have you learned going back, not to, again, put too much in there, what's your pain threshold? I mean, it, do you get the, because obviously, look, I mean, it sounded very painful when it happened. I mean, it, it, was, it was a bad situation. You know that. I don't need to drag you through it. But, you know, do you find that you actually have a particularly strong pain threshold or whatever? Because, I mean, you did pitch through, like you said, for a long time until that moment. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think so. I think that makes me sound more manly. <laughs> um, but, I mean... I th guarantee you other guys have pitched through worse pain than that, and they just didn't have the the result that I got. So obviously I'd like to think that I have a, a high pain tolerance. I also think that it was just stupid of me to think that it was just something that I could pitch through and it would resolve itself. I more was under that circumstance, like, yeah, I can pitch through this until the end of the season and then get it figured out then, whether it's just a couple days off or whatever, or a couple weeks off. Um, and then I, I think maybe when it first started, if I was able to get an extra, I get an MRI to start because I actually talked to myself about it and thought like, Hey, this could be a two week thing. And then I'm fine for the rest of the season. Um, so it's probably stupid of me. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm happy with myself to push myself through that kind of thing. So as you're sitting there and, and I don't know the tra trajectory of that night, I don't know if you went right to the hospital or what, what happened, but you obviously know you have significant pain in your elbow. I imagine you're also beating yourself up a little bit and, and really trying to gaze into a very foggy future at that point. Like what were, what was the emotional pain? Like, yeah. If you will? Yeah. I mean, that was one thing that was kind of weird. I was definitely in a ton of pain. I, it happened on a, I think it was a Friday. Um, and then I drove up to, that was in Baltimore, drove up to New York the next day, got an MRI and then didn't get surgery till Wednesday. So from that Friday to Wednesday, any little movement of my, my elbow really hurt. And the only thing they could really do was put me in a sling sling wasn't great um but my main thing was i didn't know if it was just a fracture and i let the bone heal and then i'm fine for next year or if there was ligament damage and now i need tommy john or flexor or whatever could possibly have been in there and now i'm out for a year plus and, and i was gonna say i mean the fact you know this i'm sure every single person who watched that game every single person in that stadium immediately said tommy john surgery and it was just like a given michael king needs tommy john surgery and that was the weird thing was I know everybody says when you get Tommy John, a lot of like your, your pinky and ring finger go numb because your ulnar nerve runs right, mm -hmm. right through there. And I felt a crack when I threw it and then my whole hand went numb. So then I was like, weird that it's whole hand instead of just pinky and ring finger. 
But then when I went inside, Tim Lentick actually was, was holding my elbow and any type of movement that he did hurt. But then he was like, all right, let me feel the ligament. And he went with his hands and pushed on it and I didn't have any pain. So I was like, all right, that's a little strange. Got the x-ray. X-ray said that it was fully cracked. My, my ulna or olecranon technically. But, um, then, uh, it was just the waiting game of getting in an MRI. And the hard part was when I went up for the MRI on that Saturday, because I could not move my arm without writhing in pain, I couldn't really get a, an actual MRI. So now the waiting game was the worst part because I had to wait for the bone to heal until I could actually straighten my arm out and get in an MRI the correct way to see how the ligaments were. And so that was, I, I did surgery with Dr. Alchek on that Wednesday, um, but it wasn't until eight weeks after that until I actually got an MRI to see what the, the ligament looked like. And Alchek was able to like kind of see in the original MRI that the ligament looked fine. He also looked at MRIs that I took in 19 and like in 2013 to see the evolution of my, my elbow. And his, I remember his line was like, your ligament literally looks perfect. It looks like you're not even a pitcher because it's a, a thick, intact ligament. So he's like, I d- really don't think that it's ligament. Um, but there's no way of really telling until you get the full MRI. And luckily I got that news. So then maybe this is a weird question to follow that with, because it seems like you're some sort of ligament magician. Um, <laughs> is pitching an impossible act? I mean, I know that we, we sit here and we try to do all these things and count every pitch and count every action that you guys take to try to, you know, best practices and what have you. At the end of the day, I'm being careful here. Like, I don't want to compare it to football in a sense mm-hmm. where you just know that like you're on borrowed time there. And I said, are all pitchers essentially just fighting up an impossible hill? It's definitely a tough question because I think when you look at Garrett, mm-hmm. for example, Garrett's mechanics are so pure and he almost disperses the energy that he creates throughout his whole body. It's not like he doesn't use his lower half. So then it really stre- stresses his shoulder and elbow. It's not like he overuses his lower half where then it puts his shoulder in a weird position at release. So, and I'll knock on wood here, but like Garrett has been healthy for his whole career and it's almost unheard of to like see a guy. Oh, you haven't had Tommy John yet. That's like the the thing. And then you look at a guy like Garrett and he will up his pitch count at a, an incredible rate throughout spring training to be ready to go a hundred pitches um, and feel totally fine. He has gone however many years of 200 plus innings and be totally fine. Um, and he's throwing it at 95 to 101. You know, it's, it's not like he's one of those soft tossing guys that can just throw because it's not really that much stress on his elbow. So I'm always floored with him. And that's a main thing I, I talked to Desi uh, about our, our pitch count workload, because that's been a model that not just the Yankees. I feel like a lot of guys have tried to really master and say like, yeah, this is a higher stress um, on your elbow when you go from this pitch count to this pitch count. So we want to take it slower here, or we need to add more throws here to make it so that you have a bigger bank to pull from. But then you look at a guy like Garrett and he doesn't even follow that and has been healthy his whole career. And so now it's the hard part is you can't create like a cookie cutter model because I'm going to take care of my body differently. My mechanics are totally different. The workload could be totally different stresses on different parts Mm -hmm. of my body. So it's hard to like make a specific work, a specific throwing program for everybody. Um, And it's, it's really just, I think an impossible science that you as a, an athlete has to figure out what works best for yourself and, and follow it. I think one of the least understood by a lot of people, parts of this whole process, though, and, and look, I mean, you're never going to get all baseball fans to behave themselves properly, but I, th- I think people are getting better in general about accepting injuries, accepting the work that you guys put in. Mm-hmm. 
but I know I've spoken to a lot of guys, a lot of guys, especially in Tommy John, where you're looking at a 16, 18 month process. And it's a very difficult mental thing to handle. You become, you go from being kind of a superhero to being worthless in some way. And again, I'm not, you, oh, know, yeah. you can't help. And I know, especially a lot of them say season gets to be, you know, August, September, October. You don't want to be around because you want to be out there and you're just taking up space in a sense. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? Because you did start coming around again late, late in the season, obviously, and you know it, it, it was it was a special year in a lot of ways, and then a disappointing year at the end. How are you handling the knowledge that man they could use me right now? It, it was tough. Um, yeah, I I was very fortunate. Uh, I asked to stay in New York the whole time. I didn't travel with the team um, throughout the regular season for the playoffs. I was able to travel, which was great, and I'm very grateful for Joe Bello. He was a physical therapist that, like you said, you're taking up space. I'm also taking up a ton of time from a physical therapist and Joe's trying to get the guys that are, that have a chance of playing this year back healthy on the team. And obviously I was not that, but he still gave me a lot of his time. And there were a lot of times that I would watch and say, this is a very good situation for me to be pitching. And I will say like, we have a nasty bullpen. So a <laughs> lot of times when I said, this is a good situation for me to pitch, they would still do just as good as I would. Um, so it's not it's not really that it's not like oh I wish I was there because I could have really helped the team. It was You're a competitor. More, you want to compete, of course. But it was more of like we're on such a special run and a very fun time that this is like the this is why you play baseball, you know. And so now when I'm sitting there and we're watching a playoff game and Wandy throws all five days of the ALDS, I'm like I could have given him a day off, you know, instead of having him go all five, which was incredible for the team. It's just like those little things that I look back at, like oh I would have loved to have been pitching in that. My wife's an attorney, and when she goes on a trial, you know, she'll be working 17, 18 hour days, seven mm-hmm. days a week, or whatever. And, you know, everyone, friends, my family, like, oh, how do you handle, how did she handle it? How's she doing? And I always say, it's like, well, these are the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, they spent all this time getting ready for this. This is what they were working for. It's just adrenaline at this point, right? I, I, I oh, yeah. imagine it's a lot of the same stuff there. Yeah. Everybody calls it angry August um, <laughs> when you're in it because you're so close to the finish line, but you're also not there. And that's when you're starting to, like, oh, my body's starting to break down a little bit because it's a long season. And then it gets to September and you're in a playoff push. And then it's October and you're in the playoffs and you don't even feel a thing. Nothing. So, you know, part of what makes you and has made you such a weapon, um, whether in the bullpen, but also a guy who profiled as a starter, even when you were in the bullpen, was your pitch mix, robust pitch mix, all that stuff. When you started throwing again, were they all kind of coming back together or were there things you noticed like, eh, this one's not here yet. And hmm, you know what? My sweeper's a little farther along than uh, I might have expected. I, I, I got a little nervous, I will say, in my first couple bullpens that I was throwing, um, the movements of all my pitches were way diminished, so way worse. Um, and originally, it was like, let's just make sure you're healthy and feeling good on a mound. Um, but then by like bullpen four or five, I remember talking to Desi and Blake, being like, hey, like sinker's not moving like it does, the slider's not moving like it does, what, what am I doing here? So then that's when we actually started to dive into release points and, and whatever. And I think that a lot of it comes from my mechanics on flat ground are totally different than on the mound. And because I had such a long buildup and it's such a long shutdown, there was a lot of time that I wasn't on the mound. So now I developed different habits that not necessarily were bad, but weren't in my mechanics that I was last year. So then I was getting to different positions that I was in last year. And um, as soon as I really just started to, like I was going once or twice on the mound a week, I went to three times on the week, uh, three times on the mound per week. And I just started to really get my footing and, just started to get in better positions because I was training, training myself to go down the mound. Um, and slowly but surely it, it corrected itself. I still 
I still think my slider isn't where it was last year. I won't tell anyone to worry. No, it's fine. But um, the it's it's just it's not a pitch that I'm nervous. That was obviously the pitch that it cracked on. Uh, it's not a pitch that I'm nervous to throw. But I think that there are a lot of times that I'm babying it without even thinking about it. Um, but then when I'm actually ripping it, I can see it be like it was last year. Um, and there's definitely been times where I'm where I'm there, but it's not. 100% there, so I'm continuing to make the improvements on that and develop it, um, and I'm hoping that it, it comes for the last couple of months here. And did you develop any special powers coming out of the surgery? <laughs> no. Any, any, any rookie of the year type things here? Little oh, big league? Only thing is I probably get the metal detectors all flared up when I'm walking in the, in the airport. But Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it, we talked about the pitch mix and everything like that. I, I, I think that you and I previously have spoken about this. I, I would call definitely, I think you would call your confidence a weapon. One mm-hmm. of the things that you attack hitters with in some regard. I think people say this about you and they mean it in a nice way, um, but they call you like the cockiest guy on the team and everything like that. I think you like that. You're laughing now. How do you, as you're going through this, not lose that? Because that's not just a funny attribute of yours. That has been a weapon, as I've said. I definitely try to be as humble as I can be <laughs> off the field. But I had a, a college coach, Jim Foster, tell me that every hitter can smell blood in the water. So if you're out there without confidence, every hitter knows that, and then hits just start piling up. So while I'm out there, I got to exude that confidence to show a hitter I'm not afraid of him, and he should be afraid of me. Um, and so that's you're messing, the, you're messing with the king. You're, <laughs> exactly. So um, I, I definitely have tried to take that out on the field. Um, but this whole rehab process, 100% took me out of that. I think that a lot of my first few outings in the year were making sure that I was healthy so it didn't feel like I was actually pitching in a big league game. It felt like I was rehabbing out there. And then when I started to struggle, I went straight to like, okay, my stuff isn't the same because I came out of become because I'm coming off an injury, my mechanics aren't the same, my velo is not there. What's going on? And now my mind is going into mechanics, into pitch mix, into my velocity. And not just attacking the hitter and showing the hitter that I can get him out. Proving, like, while I'm just standing there that I'm going to get you out. Um, And it's, again, the chicken or the egg. Like, I don't know if the confidence or the success comes first. But as soon as my velocity started to uptick, I then felt that confidence. And then I was able to continue to build on it. And I've been able to build on it for the last couple months now. um, And was able to avoid, like, a massive slump in that June-ish month um, where, where it started to go down. So... It's definitely a hard thing uh, mentally to come back from, um, but uh, I've been happy with myself in, in terms of how I was able to recover. Has your confidence ever gotten you in trouble? Is there a time that, whether just you know, silly on the mound, being a little too pugnacious with maybe the way you attack somebody, or you know, perhaps off the mound, maybe saying a, something that rubbed somebody the wrong way? Well, I, I will say I don't think off the mound I've ever I've ever done anything like that. But on on the field, it happens all the time, and I. I like the main one that I'm thinking of right now is Otani. I got to a one, two count against Otani and he's the tying run in LA. And it's freaking Shohei Otani, but I got cocky and wanted to blow a fastball by him. And now I throw a fastball in the strike zone and he hits it out for a home run. Whereas if I not just had a little bit less confidence, but just instead of letting the confidence take over and actually thought about the situation, throwing a ball to either get a chase or who cares if I walk him because it's a righty on deck and I can get, get whoever that is. So those are the times that, that have definitely burned me. Um, but I also say I'm gonna if I'm gonna get beat, it's gonna be with confidence. It's not like I'm gonna be dancing around the zone and then get beat that way. And look, I'm not telling you something you don't know here, but a, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had Clark Schmidt sitting in this chair, 
and we're talking to Clark, talking to Matt Blake about it. It's a lot of the same thing as he's, you know, struggling with lefties trying this new pitch. It's like, hey, you're you're a confident guy and it's good that you attack. You're attacking pretty aggressively in this mm-hmm. way. And uh, you know, you're working on this, so you're missing sometimes and you're missing in huge slug zones. And it's like, how do you neutralize that? Because Clark's another guy who everyone says, you know, he leans on his aggressiveness, he leans on his confidence as a weapon, and you could just see how that does need to still be honed in some sense, even if uh, sometimes it seems very natural. 100%. Yep. So, you know, we, we've spoken about you have so many guys on that row in the clubhouse with you who you've been pitching with in the minors for years and years and how cool that must be to develop together. And now, you know, I, I guess we call you a veteran now. You've been doing this for a bunch of years, but you're kind of seeing a next crop come up and, you know, when you're pitching to an Austin Wells and you're talking to an Austin Wells and you see the relationship that Austin has with Anthony Volpe and has with Jason Dominguez and all these guys, what's it like for you to watch as kind of the next tier up in big league service time? I remember um, it was my first year when I was with Adovino and Adovino said that his favorite thing in baseball is to watch a debut because it's just your dream coming true for that kid. And um, I, I didn't think anything of it because I was I basically just made my debut. So I wasn't like, Oh, it's not that cool. Like whatever, who cares? He just got called up. He worked his ass off to get here. And Adovino was like, no, 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 you'll, you'll understand. And it wasn't until last year that I was, I thought debuts were like the coolest thing. And you're just so happy for that kid and can now see his whole career in front of him. And a guy like, like the three that you named Wells, Volpe and Dominguez have such a high ceiling that now it's just like making sure they're around the right people. And working hard to get to the point that they that we know they can get and to. being the right i mean not to put words in your mouth you want to be the right person uh-huh. you, you want to be that guy who austin comes to and is uh asking what what to where, where to look where to go right 100 percent. and i think that like the relationship that you develop especially pitcher and catcher are such a unique relationship but even yesterday i was just sitting in the dugout it was an off day for uh for wells and we came up and started talking about random pitch sequences whether it would be while Rodon was pitching or when we go look back at my last start. And so now as we're developing those relationships, it just makes it so now his job as a catcher is a little bit easier. And I think the catcher position is the hardest position because you not only have to know the hitters that you're facing, but you have to know the strengths of the pitchers that you're catching. And then you also have to know who the pitcher is on the other team because you're going to hit against them. And for Wells coming up, barely catching any of us in his whole career, now having to learn how everybody's pitches move, what we like to call all it's, it's, it's incredible. And Wells is saying like he's got to get his back going, and I'm like, dude, if you're able to command this pitching staff and get gain the respect of the pitching staff, the hits will come because that will then become second nature, and you'll have the confidence there, and then you can really put your focus into hitting. But if you come up here and only care about hitting and not care about the pitching staff, your job as a catcher is almost over. Like that's when we'll transition you to first baseman if you can hit, or you're gone if you can't catch. So or if you can't hit. So his his knowledge and his ability to actually command a staff was apparent when he. Like he debuted, debuted against Houston, one of the most hostile environments that we go into, and every pitcher came away from it like, wow, I love throwing Austin Wells. And that's like a massive thing for his confidence. So I'm very proud of him, and I can't wait to see his career. What are the positives that you take from what has been a difficult season in a lot of ways, but also one for you where you came in, I'm sure with a lot of question marks, I'm sure with a lot of fear and concern. You know, here you are at the end, you know, thus far you've marched in one piece. Sorry. <laughs> no, you, you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what positives are you taking? Is it just that? That definitely is, is one of them. I, I guess I'm going back to the confidence. The confidence in my health 
was something that I, I definitely looked for. And knowing that I can get through a full season healthy and actually feeling great in middle of September um, is a, a a big positive for me going into the off season. I definitely will enjoy an actual off season instead of a rehabbing off season. <laughs> but then I, I like as a team, I think yeah, t- the the year most of the year sucked. Um, we weren't really clicking uh, offensively or defensively, pitching staff wise. It was it it felt like it never came together. When the starter would go out there and dominate, the bullpen would blow it. When the starter would struggle in the first few, the bullpen would then come together. When the hitters put up nine, pitching staff just totally lost it, and we we gave up ten. When the starters, were, when the whole pitching staff was great, and it's a one nothing game, the hitters couldn't come through. It just never fully came together. And I felt like in twenty two, that's that was our main thing. Everybody else was able to pick up the other person um, if somebody struggled. And for me, one thing that I really respected with this team and why I developed even better relationship with them were the routines that we kept throughout the whole thing. It's not like we got to the point where uh, we're 10 games back and only a month to play and we're going to mail it in. So now like looking forward into 22 into 24, I'm like excited to work with these guys again, because I know that they're going to get into the, into that same routine in the off season and know that they're going to work every day to come back and make sure that we're, we're better than 24 because Unfortunately, other teams caught up to us this year. I'm, I'm very excited to, to see what improvements we make in the offseason individually, not like signing guys or trading guys, all of us um, to, to really come together and, and see what we can do in 24. Michael Kango is a delight. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Hi, this is Clark Schmidt. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Hi, this is Anthony Volpe. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. Nate, I said it before we got started here. That was a fun one for me. I uh, One thing that you and I have spoken about is it can get challenging sometimes the more you write about somebody. Sometimes it's hard to find a thing to say. The flip side to that is sometimes when you've spoken to someone a bunch of times, it really allows you guys to understand each other a little bit more, understand a line of questioning. And I thought Mike just took me through all of the emotions, all of the technical aspects of rehab, all of the reasons he wants to start. I thought it was just a fascinating uh, talk and, and really great to hear from him in that way. I agree. I mean, it was really cool to just hear a, you know, first person account of, uh, you know, a, a young pitcher who's obviously got a, a world of talent, who's really kind of like, taking ownership of his career, not in a bad way at all. You know, I mean, I think the, the team is always at the forefront in, of, of his mind and trying to do, you know, what's best for the Yankees. But at the same time, uh, he, he understands his value and it can be in a lot of different ways, which is cool. I mean, not all pitchers are that versatile, but, you know, just given what he's capable of doing and given the different needs, the shifting needs of the team from month to month or even season to season, He's the type of guy who's going to push for what he thinks is best for everybody involved. And uh, to hear him kind of articulate all that was really interesting. It really is. And, and maybe this is me being an apologist for our employers. If it is, whatever. Sorry, you're, you're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast here. But I kind of keep saying this, and I really do mean it. I'm not trying to suggest for a second that like, hey, man, it's a good thing the Yankees didn't make the playoffs this year. That's ridiculous. But to the point I've made a few times in recent episodes... 
well, what are the positives? What are the positives that you can take from this year? So one example I'll give. I think the last time we recorded, Austin Wells was doing a really good job catching, but hadn't hit for anything. And then in the last week of the season, his bat caught fire. Jason Dominguez, obviously that story ended rough for the end of this season and for the beginning of next season. But you look at these guys, they would not have had the experience at the major league level they got in a typical Yankee season. If the, if the year had gone the way people expected it to, the way people wanted it to, Austin Wells wouldn't have any big league service time. You know, Jason Dominguez probably wouldn't either. And I find it hard to believe that if Nestor Cortez and Carlos Rodon and Luis Severino are healthy in themselves all year, I find it hard to believe that Michael King would have this experience as a starter that he got at the end of this year. And I think that as you look toward the 2024 starting rotation, and it's super early, the you know hot stove season, if you will, hasn't even started yet. But I think we're talking about Michael King a lot differently than we would have if this team was in the division series right now. And I think that that has to be a positive for the future of this rotation because there are holes this team needs to fill. There are things this team needs to do. And having a cheap, under control, clearly capable starting pitcher that you can feel confident about sliding in there that changes a lot about what the team has to do this offseason, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the word that you mentioned there, confident, is, is a big factor in all this. It wasn't like the, the Yankees were down a starter and, and uh, you know, they just used him as a Band-Aid to patch things over until, you know, somebody else got back. Like, no, he, he took the opportunity and really ran with it. I mean, he was, he was great as a starter down the stretch. So I agree. I think he's going to, you know, come into spring training with a renewed confidence in himself and everybody who's kind of uh, like us, just sort of uh, outsiders looking in uh, should feel pretty good as well about what Michael King is is capable of doing uh, as a member of the rotation in 2024. And it's always a funny thing too, because you, you hate the idea of messing with success. And the reality is Michael King was fantastically successful in the bullpen and feeling a unique role in that bullpen or what should have been a unique role in that bullpen. But like you said, suddenly it stopped being so unique. Suddenly there were other guys who were being really effective in multi-inning spots. But I mean, for me, you, you kind of always go back to, I mean, first Mariano and then to some degree Jabba Chamberlain and this idea that it's always fascinating to wonder, well, what if this guy started and what if he did this and, and, and all that stuff? But then you look at it and it's like, well, but he's way too useful in the bullpen, so who knows? And for a long time, I think that was just kind of Mike King's curse, was that he really wanted to start, but he was too good in the bullpen. And, you know, I loved hearing him talk about not just going into the manager's or the pitching coach's office and begging, but really explaining to them, like, well, what about this, 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 and this? You know, if you want to use me in these me methods, what if, how could I try this? And just strategizing his way back into the starting rotation. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, that's only so effective, but <laughs> right, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. When you go out there and you back it up with the type of performances that he had, uh, you know, it really makes makes you think. And, it, you know, hopefully he'll get a shot to be a season long star because I would love to see what he's able to do. You know, I just kind of I was looking at some of his numbers. Uh, you know, he, he was talking about how much he enjoys the, uh, the the chess match of facing guys for a second and a third time through. And, you know, I think he made nine starts this year. And in five of those games, he was able to face batters for a third time. He had, he faced 18 batters total 
a third time through as a starter, and he gave up one hit for those 18 batters. So they, they were one for 17 with a walk and had nine strikeouts. Like, that's pretty darn good. So, I mean, there's a lot of numbers that we can point to it and a lot of data to, to suggest that he could be an effective starter. But based on what we saw this year, I, I would be really excited to if he made the rotation coming out of camp next year and uh, potentially was was a member of the, the staff uh, for all of 2024. It's funny, though, because, Nate, to your point you're making there, this is something that every pitcher says, you know, that they are fascinated by the chess match and whatever and they want to do it. But like you said, you got to win the chess match. and. That is the chess match, that third time through, that second time through. That's something that a lot of established starters in the league can't get right. And to watch him succeed in that way, I mean, it, it, it was impossible for me personally to separate. Obviously, look, like I said, I've spoken to my king a lot. I enjoy talking to him. He's interesting. He's fun. He's funny. And he's also a guy who every one of us heard on TV as he screamed in pain after a traumatic injury. It's impossible not to feel great watching his success this year in light of that too. Yeah, no doubt. He's a he's a guy who's um you know, emerged as a as a really obviously valuable member of this team, um but also just a guy that's, you know, pretty easy to root for and a guy that, you know, is kind of similar to to Garrett Cole in that like it's really interesting to hear him just kind of talk through his craft and what's going through his mind out there a lot of times and um yeah, it makes it fun to watch when you he's when they give you that sort of insight that you can follow along with while you're watching him pitch. Especially as he talks about just the idea of, well, I could have said something, I decided to pitch through it, and like at the end of the day, I probably missed the same amount of time I would have otherwise. You know, it's one thing to say that. Like I said, though, you know, we we watched, we heard. I, I it's gross. I hate to say it, but we heard how painful yeah. this was you know there are injuries that you find out about after the fact and there are ones that you watch happen and right away say we're not going to see this guy for a long time this is bad and one of my favorite parts of the conversation is when he's talking about the movement on his pitch is not kind of coming back the right way and wondering what was up and, and even saying when we recorded this in late september that he still didn't know for sure if his slider had the same movement on it and things like that because i think that we're accustomed to thinking about injuries, thinking about rehabs as very robotic and just time-based. You put in the time and you get back. And whether this applies to a pitcher going through Tommy John rehab or, frankly, to Jason Dominguez, it's, you're talking about the human body. You're, you're, you're talking about you know, how to get this machine you know, calibrated exactly right to be able to perform at the absolute highest level. And it's not surprising to me that a guy might have some doubts as he's going through that. It's it's not just the human body, it's the human mind. And I think yeah. a lot of times the uh, the biggest hurdle is is that part of it. But, you know, I think uh, we've heard numerous pitchers in the Yankees organization talk about, you know, how fortunate they've felt to be surrounded by the staff and the, you know, the trainers and it, beyond the physical, you know, the mental strength and conditioning coaches, stuff like that. It really, it takes a lot of people and it all working together to get these guys back and get them right. You know, ultimately, sure, it is on the individual to, to you know, show that kind of mental strength to get, to get through that and, and, you know, do everything that's required of them physically. But um, it, it sounds like there's a lot, a lot of good people in this organization surrounding them, which, you know, is pretty fortunate. Yeah, look, and a, a lot of good people behind the scenes and 
like Michael King, a lot of good people in, in that clubhouse. Nate, as we as we discussed, this is a quiet time, especially so. Yeah, I think the Yankees are intentionally being very quiet right now as the front office tries to make some sense of what was a difficult year, and that's that's understandable. It's also during the postseason, teams usually try to avoid making too much news at MLB's request. But you know, as you kind of start thinking about your off season, maybe what are some of the things that you're interested to hear some of the things that you're interested to do what what are some of the mile markers if you will uh as you sit here in mid-october and start plotting your way to pitchers and catchers in february um well i mean for one thing i think that uh we can probably bank on uh needing to send a reporter and a photographer to the uh baseball writers association awards dinner again in january this year (laughs) Um, because I think when the Cy Young voting is announced next month, I have a pretty good feeling that one of our guys' name is going to be mentioned. So it was really cool last year to go and to see Aaron Judge receive his his AL MVP award from 2022. Um, And, you know, I mean, Garrett Cole, just his season was so unbelievable. Uh, It would be pretty shocking if he didn't win the Cy Young award, which is a huge deal. I mean, think about it, John, like in our lifetimes, one Yankees pitcher has won it, and that was Roger Clemens more than 20 years ago. So it, it's a rare feat. It's really, uh, you know, to say it's noteworthy is is an understatement. Um, Garrett Cole would be in a, a very small, uh, rare company uh, to be a Yankees pitcher who's won the AL Cy Young Award. So that's certainly one of the things I'm thinking about. You know, I've got some college football on the brain, kind of, with two games uh, lined up here at Yankee Stadium. We got Syracuse and Pitt next month, and then uh, the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl at the end of December. So, uh, you know, there's some some work to do for those games. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, as with any off season, just kind of following along with the uh, the beat reporters who are who are uh, keeping us up to date on any moves made by the front office, and we'll see where it goes. I mean. I don't know. What are you kind of thinking about for for this winter, John? Yeah, I'm interested in seeing the first dominoes in a sense, because I think it's so hard right now to figure out what, you know, steps four, five, six and seven are. I'm really interested to see what happens first. I'm I'm, I'm interested in seeing, frankly, if everyone uh, is tendered a contract this year. I think there's going to be some interesting conversations to be had there. And I think that will give you a sense on how they feel about some of the young players who got that opportunity this year you know philosophically I, I think it's just there's a lot of interesting questions about this roster that had some problems this year and also had major injury issues this year so it's hard to fully gauge how where some of these players are and, and what their needs are but it, it's just an interesting time and I think that again he, you know you understand the quiet if you will from uh from the stadium's uh, front office wing but it's always you're always looking for that first sign, the, the 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 first signal of what to expect, and it's it's going to be fascinating. I think I think there are so many interesting young players, both who got some big league experience this year, but also guys who are waiting. I mean, Drew Thorpe, I don't think he's obviously big league ready, but clearly, clearly showed just how solid a prospect he is. Then you have Will Warren who. It's probably pretty close to being ready to pitch. Maybe not, you know, breaking camp, but you certainly think that his trajectory 
makes you think that he'll be at the major league sometime next year. There's a, there's a lot of players right around there. And obviously then there's the guys who not everyone who we were excited watching all those young kids, not all of them will be with the major league roster when the team begins the season against Houston, frankly, not all of them might be with the organization. So it's just, it's a hard time because you want to start thinking ahead. You want to plan ahead from our perspectives. We want to figure out stores and things like that. But I I think we knew from about August on that this was going to be one of the more difficult to predict off seasons of our time with the Yankees. And so far mid October, nothing has changed from my perspective. So we'll see, but it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's this team is going to have a chip on its shoulder. I think it does right now. I think there's a lot of players who are planning out their offseason workouts, thinking about the frustrations of this past year. I think the fans are feeling the same way. I think the front office feels the same way in a lot of ways too. So I think everyone is really, really raring to get back on the field in a sense. And as a person who writes about this team, I, I join them. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there is a lot of excitement when you think about the uh, the young players and uh, what a lot of them accomplished at the minor league level this year. There was a lot of really promising players and, and interesting stories down there. And yeah, like you said, I mean, there's going to be uh, a lot of guys are going to come in hungry next year. And uh, I think for me, just you know, watching the the playoffs on TV and not being a part of it, <laughs> I know I can't really do anything to affect the outcomes on the field, but boy, it really makes me. Uh, yeah, I know it's only been one year since since we've been, but man, it makes me really want to get back to that because it's it's just so much fun to be a part of October baseball. It's so much fun to be a part of October baseball, and I think it also puts a lie to this idea that, frankly, a lot of us had. I'll even put myself in there as the team was kind of surging a little bit in September, and you know, I think what one thing you heard a lot of, and I, I don't mean this with any kind of judgment, but it was like, yeah, but if they get there, then what, you know? But you know, as we record this, the Dodgers are down two games to nothing in the division series. The Orioles, who looked so strong, are down two games to nothing as we record this. Anything can happen. Uh, it's just, you know, you don't have to fix everything all at once. You don't have to figure out a way to turn this team into the 1998 Yankees. But with the expanded playoffs with all this stuff, I, I, I just think that there's a road and a road map, if you will, to uh, being right back in there next year and it's a bummer to sit here in the second week of October because it's <laughs> it's a long way off right now. But before we know it, we'll be complaining about the fact that that quiet off season ended and now we're crazy busy again. So Nate, I uh, you know I look forward to uh, having that roller coaster of emotions with you. Absolutely, let's uh, make it a good off season and come back strong next year. And we will speak to you in two weeks. Cheers, everyone. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. Thank you for listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Ryan Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, your book, media guide, or anything else, please visit 
yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks.